0: Uh, i you just jumping in, two weeks ago, we talked about almost all of us have a struggle or a sin we're not totally honest about. Uh, we hide it instead of confessing it, but God knows on the other side of that awkward honesty is a really beautiful blessing, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, last week, we talked about there's someone maybe in our life who's doing something that's not so good, and we talk about them, but we don't talk to them. But on the other side of an awkward, honest conversation, a confrontation, uh, can be the piece of correcting someone back to a good path. The peace of knowing you had the courage to say what needed to be said. Now, as we land the plane, let's talk about the questions maybe some of us are not asking. About once every four weeks, I feel fairly ignorant. A little over a year ago, uh, my friend who used to cut my hair uh, went into real estate, so I had to find a new spot to get my hair cut. And I found a local barbershop just a block from our church. And when I walked in that barbershop for the first time, I realized it was a black barbershop. Uh, all the barbers pretty much are black. The, the music playing over the speakers is African-American. The art on the walls is black. Most of the clientele is black and brown. And if you're new here at the core, you might not know this, but I am not black. And so every four weeks, I, I sense my own ignorance. I love diversity so much. I mean, being in the room with all kinds of people from all kinds of places makes my heart so, so happy. But I've, I've done a lot of my life in the Hispanic community playing soccer. And I grew up in a community and went to schools that didn't have a ton of African-American diversity. So I just don't know as much about the culture and the, the language and the slang and the phrases as I do about other places. And so inevitably, as the barbers are talking and as the, the buzzers are going in my ear, I hear things... That goes over my head. Uh, there are words I don't quite understand. There are jokes where everyone laughs, and I think, I don't know why that's funny. There's <laughs> um, just phrases, cultural moments, people's reactions to political and social situations, just distinct uh, from the way that I was raised. Uh, everyone in there is super cool. They've been nothing but nice to me. But I gotta tell you, as I'm sitting under that cape, very often my palms start to sweat, and I, I'm rubbing them on my jeans. Because I'm faced with one of two choices. I can either smile and nod and laugh like I get it. Or I can, with fear and trepidation, admit that I'm ignorant. Literally that I don't know. I don't get it. You know, I was thinking about my barbershop moments because I think something like that happens all the time right here in our church. There's something that I love, love, love about our church and I love about those of you who are watching at home on your, your tablets or your TVs. In fact, this is so important, these two things that I love. I want you to grab a pen and write these down. I love the fact that some of you here today know very, very much of the Bible, um, you probably dismiss that statement, "Oh I, there's so much I don't know. I'm not a pastor, maybe I didn't go to Bible college, but there are some of you who have gone to church almost every Sunday, not for a few months or a few years, but a few decades. Some of you had a Christian education where you memorized Bible passages and sang hymns. You were raised in a family where God was a priority. You know so much about the Bible. You know what a Habakkuk is. Um, <laughs> it's probably a good sign that you know a bit about your Bible. You know the difference between Old Testament Joseph and New Testament Joseph. Between the king named Saul in the Old Testament and the man named Saul who became Paul. You know the meaning of the cross. You know that Jesus didn't stay dead. You have more than just a basic childlike knowledge. You know so much of the Bible and that it's such a good thing. Right? The way we find peace and joy is knowing lots about God. We know his love We know his power, we know what he's done, we know what he's doing, we know what he's about to do. When you know tons about the Bible, you have like the cheat code to peace, joy, and eternal life through Jesus. There are lots of you in the room who are just like that and I'm so grateful for it. And, and I'm just as grateful and if I'm being honest, maybe even a little more grateful for those of you who know none of the Bible or very little of the Bible, or who are clueless about the difference between the Josephs or the Sauls. You don't know what a Habakkuk is or who Habakkuk is. You know, maybe you walked into church today for the first time, or the first time in a really long time. Maybe you're watching at home and you know, someone shared a link or you stumbled upon this station, and the truth is you don't know tons about the Bible, maybe some of the very basics, but not a lot. I love that so much that brand new people walk into our church every single Sunday. I was doing a visit in a local jail uh, two, three weeks ago and I was trying to encourage the guy I was speaking with and I said, you know the story of David and Goliath? And the guy in the orange jumpsuit said, who? I was counseling a, a married couple the other day who's been coming to our church and I said, you know that one time when Jesus walked on the water? And they said, what? In fact, just last week, I was uh, at a local coffee shop and I asked a woman after hearing her story, tell me what you know about Jesus. Her one-word answer, nothing. And I love the fact that gathered here in those conversations, in our groups, and in our church gatherings, are people who are all on that spectrum of knowledge. People who know tons about the Bible People who know very little. Those of you who are just exploring this for the first time in a very, very long time. And those of you, like the fourth grade girl who last month could recite the books of the Bible faster than I could. I'm so mad at that girl. I'm, I'm practicing at home. No, no one beats me in the books of the Bible competition. She did. And I thought, wow, can you imagine being 10, 11, 12 years old, Brrr, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I love that. All of us are here together. Now, that is actually an incredible blessing for both of us. Here's why. Because if you know a lot, do you know psychologically the best way to know something even better? To teach it. Right. So you can explain it very simply to another person. That's the way you become an expert in the topic. And if you don't know much, literally, you don't have to climb a mountain to learn lots of things about God. Turn to the person, sit next to you and ask. And they could answer. So for everyone who's in the room, this could be incredibly good Or, or it could be a potential problem. I read a book years ago where the authors talked about the, they called it the curse of knowledge. And the curse of knowledge is when you know so much about something that you're cursed by not being aware of how much you know you've known it for so long. You and your friends have talked about it for so long. You've forgotten what it's like to be brand new. It's like when I go um, to the doctor and the nurse rattles off my blood pressure, those two numbers. And I think, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> am, am I dying? Am I healthy? I really don't know. Those are just two numbers to me. But she, she's cursed by how much knowledge she has. If you go to a mechanic or you work on cars, right, and the mechanic says something's broken, and if you're anything like me... You have no idea what any of it is. And it happens in the church. We sometimes get into conversations and we talk in ways that we're totally unaware of how much goes over the heads of the people in the room. But maybe even more difficult than that are those of you who are kind of new, who've never really read the Bible cover to cover, or maybe you grew up in a Christian church, but that was a long time ago and you didn't really get it because you were just a kid. You face the same thing that I face at the barber shop, where You feel like everyone else in the conversation gets it, but you don't. And you know that they could probably answer your questions, but it feels like a a dumb question. And maybe you're a dumb person for not knowing. Your palms start to sweat. You're a little bit nervous. You can't figure out if you should raise your hand and admit, Hey, all nine of you get this, but maybe I'm the only one in the room who doesn't. You see, we could keep doing church and we could keep joining Bible studies and groups and we could keep talking in the lobby afterwards, but if some of us are cursed with a lot of knowledge and the rest of us are scared because we have little knowledge, we're going to miss one of the best blessings that God wants to give to our spiritual family. And that's why today, I want to use the Bible to give you a two-handed shove to be more than an almost honest Christian. Uh, today, I want to tell you three separate stories very quickly from the Scriptures to prove that God's goal for you has never been just to go to church or say a prayer or turn on Christian radio or join a Bible study. Uh, grab a pen because this is God's ultimate goal for everything that we do. His goal is for you to get it. Not to do it, not to say it, not to repeat it, and not to pray it. God's goal for all of us in the room is that as many of us as possible get it. That might sound easy, but it is not. And today I want to take one, two, three portions of Scripture to give you that push to be more than almost honest. But if you don't get it, to just admit it. So, let's jump into the first section. It comes from the Old Testament. Uh, I want to take you back about 2,500 years to the year 445 B.C., To the other side of the world, to the city of Jerusalem, where a very, very important church service is happening. You see, a few decades before this event, God had allowed an ancient superpower, the Babylonian army, to conquer the city of Jerusalem. They knocked down all the walls. They destroyed the ancient church that the Jewish people called their temple. But now, many years later, the Jewish people are back. They've resettled in the land The book of Nehemiah talks about how they're rebuilding the walls. The walls are up. They're finally safe. The temple's built. They've gathered for worship. They have this huge service. Apparently, they read the Bible for hours and hours and hours. They're so excited. And in that service are a bunch of people who understand the Scriptures and a bunch of people who don't. Let me show you what happens in Nehemiah chapter 8. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest... Like their worship leader, or their pastor, he brought the law—that was slang for the Bible—before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to say this word with me. Understand? He Ezra read it, the Bible, aloud from daybreak until noon. You thought I talked for a long time, as he faced the square before the Water Gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could say this word with me. Understand? And all the people listened attentively. To the book of the law. So far, so really, really good. Right? You have people who are showing up, not just for like a, a little snippet or a little minute, but for hours and hours. They're listening to a Bible expert open the scriptures and read them. In fact, it says here, the people listened attentively. They were leaning in, they had their pens, they were taking notes, they wanted to grow in faith. And as we heard two times, these were people who were able to understand. The capacity to get it. But just because they could didn't mean they did. Look what happens next. The Levites, like a group of church staff members, all right, say these with me. Ready? <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll do the Hebrew names Jeshua, Bonnie, Sherabiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masaya, Kelita, Azariah, Hanan, and Paliah. Did I say that right? You don't know. Neither do I. Let's keep going. All right, they, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people, say the word with me, understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now, say the word with me, understood the words that had been made known to them. This, uh, this is so fascinating to me because in my experience, this is exactly the pattern. Track with me. Pastor gets up and reads the Bible. Someone then tries to explain the Bible and make it clear. The people understand some of it, but not all of it. And so the pastors and worship leaders follow up so people can get it. And then they leave with great joy because they understand it. So it happened, right? They read the Bible. The Levites are trying to make it clear to the people. And the people start weeping and mourning and grieving. Because in the Bible, they were discovering just, just how sinful they and their ancestors had been. They got caught up in cultural norms. They just did what their neighbors did. But when they actually heard God speak to them, you shall not do that. And they were cut to the heart. Man, we messed that up. Now, the reason Jerusalem got destroyed is because our ancestors worshiped other gods. They mourned and grieved. They got that part, but they didn't get all of it. The Levites had to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, this is a holy day. It's a good day. We're back because God is not just just. He's loving He doesn't just punish sin and wickedness. He forgives and has mercy on sinners. They celebrated with great joy because they understood both sin and salvation, both God's justice and his love. And when they got all of it, when they understood God in his entirety, I love how it ends, they went away to celebrate with great joy because they now understood. So, what would it look like if, in your life, you followed that same pattern? Step one, you put yourself in an environment where the Bible is being opened. So just listening to your buddies over a couple of beers. You come to church, you go to a Bible study, you start to read. And in that environment, someone's trying to teach it and make it as clear as they can. Bible can be difficult to understand, so you, you go to a place, a church like this maybe, where someone's trying to explain it to you. And some of it you get, you know, some of it sticks, but there's still some points where you, you don't get it. The pastor's trying to make it clear, but it's not super clear to you. In that moment, this is so essential, ask. Like, if I could see you weeping and crying and grieving, that would probably be a trigger for me to say, are you okay? But if you're one of those people who just keeps it all inside, and I have no clue if you get it or not, I'm not going to know to follow up and to help and to give it a second shot. But if you're willing to actually admit, I, I, I didn't get part two You make it sound like it's good news, but it kind of seems like, if you're willing to ask that, to give us a chance to clarify, maybe then, in the end, it can happen to you what happened to them. You celebrate with great joy. I truly do believe this. The most important piece of paper in this space right now is this, and the second most important piece of paper is that little card in your bulletin where you can flip it over and say, what does this mean? Question mark? And the people who are trained in the Bible, like me and the pastors and the staff, we can follow up and answer that question and clarify. I just want to tell you the reason God has brought us together is not just for me to speak and for you to check a box. The reason is for you to get it. God and we want you to celebrate with great joy because you now understand the words. Got it? All right, let's jump to text number two. About 500 years after this story with the book of Nehemiah and Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a really, 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 really messed up church in the Greek city of Corinth. If you think you've had a bad church experience, check out Corinth. Church members are suing each other. People are getting hammered on the communion wine. Some people are denying that Jesus rose from the dead. People are visiting prostitutes and coming to church like it's not a big deal. Um, Bad stuff was happening, but Paul... When he writes this letter to try to correct all the problems, he addresses actually at length a huge problem that church had. And here's what it was. Apparently some people who thought they were very spiritual had this ability to speak in tongues. Uh, There's a lot of theological debate about what that meant. Was it just another language like Spanish or Chinese? Was it a special spiritual language that the angels could speak? We're not exactly sure, but we do know this. In the middle of the church service, people who had this gift, they'd stand up and they'd go off. And it seemed very impressive, very special. But unfortunately, everyone else in the church would kind of look around at each other and say, do you know what that means? And that was church. (laughs) And when Paul heard that something was happening in church that not everyone could get, he had something to say. In the letter that he wrote to this church, we call it the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 14, Paul said these very clear words. He said, Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those gifts that build up the church. It's a huge line. If you're going to do something, if it's going to be impressive, let it be something that builds people up. <laughs> I love this line. Verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than ten words. 1000 words in a tongue my average sermon if my computer is right is about 2200 words Paul would rather me say five words that you get Jesus died for your sins than five sermons put together that you don't know what they mean if i'm speaking in some kind of christianese and words and phrases you don't get that go above the heads of both adults and children, if you don't grasp the meaning of what I'm saying, I might as well preach in Spanish because it's not going to do you any good. If you don't get it, it's hard to get the things of God. And so Paul is pushing people here. You, you might be very spiritual. You might be very smart. You might know more about the Bible than anyone in the room. But when you open your mouth, the point and the purpose is to help people be built up through knowledge through grasping the meaning of what's being said. Now, this has some pretty big implications for a lot of things. Um, Let me throw this one out to you. Let's talk about Christian music. I love Christian music. I listen to it all the time. I listen to it at church, in the car, when I'm at home. But music is very, very dangerous. And it's very, very amazing. And here's why. Because some people like music even though they have no idea what the song is about. I know we have a bunch of musicians in the room who create music. I mean, sometimes people say, I love that song. And you ask them, Well, what, what was the meaning of the song? I don't know, but I love it. <laughs> right? The hook, the chorus, the beats, the harmony. This is not about music that's just aesthetically beautiful. And it can move us in a very emotional way. But if you don't understand, like, what the songwriter was trying to communicate to you, you've missed probably the biggest reason that they wrote the song. That's just to give you something to bob your head to or bring a tear to your eye, but to communicate a deep truth about life. You know, sometimes when we come to church, um, the songs move us. The music is amazing. But I would, I would say to you that there is, no, there is no bypass from the emotions of the heart into the presence of God. There's only a road that runs through your intellect. If you could sing a song, but you don't really know what the words of that song mean, they could be amazing words about Jesus, but if you don't get it, that does not get you a stronger faith. And therefore, you and I have to do something that's very difficult in those emotional moments. We have to ask ourselves with every line, every stanza, every hook, and every chorus, A question that Martin Luther loved to ask 500 years ago, the classic Lutheran question, what does this mean? (laughs) Uh, You have called me higher. What does that mean? Jesus, you've broken every chain. What does that mean? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. What, What does that mean? You can sing it, but if you don't get it, it doesn't get you closer to God. And so I would propose to you that every worship service, from lesson to sermon to prayer to music to blessing, is an intellectual exercise. Paul says, if I don't grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So I should have asked our worship leaders before preaching this sermon, but if you don't get it, ask them. Help me understand what that song was about. That one line was kind of poetic. I'm sure it has a good meaning, but I don't get it. Can you help me? Because Paul knows the secret, like we learned in Nehemiah, of true joy is not just an emotional moment, it's grasping the heart, the love, and the sacrifice of Jesus. Got it? Good. All right, last text for today. Right about the same time in biblical history. Uh, We find in the book of Acts an amazing story, I had a chance to preach on it just a few months ago, of two guys. Both of them had a Bible, but only one of them understood the Bible. Apparently there was this man from Ethiopia, from ancient Africa, who had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He was rich, influential, powerful, intelligent. He actually had a Bible that he was reading in his ancient chariots, but the truth is he didn't get it. And that's why I love this story so much. Acts chapter 8 says this. This man, the Ethiopian, had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. It's a part of the Old Testament. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, told Philip, an early Christian, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to that chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? The man said, Unless someone explains it to me. So, he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Man, I love that guy so much. I wish there was like a YouTube clip of the start of that conversation. <laughs> the guy, I think he was getting like chariot jacked, like, hand over your Bible and all of your jewelry. You know, here Philip comes and runs up to him. He launches this question that was pretty in your face. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you get it? He put the microphone right in front of his lips and the guy who could have brushed them off, who could have faked it, who could have smiled and nodded. Instead, here's the most beautiful answer that I want you to learn from. How can I? Unless someone explains it to me. All right, we, we all wish that life was DIY, but sometimes you got to go to class and learn from someone who gets it. If you're going to be a doctor, sometimes you have to go to a res- residency with someone who gets it. If you want to learn how to Play guitar or piano, you might have to go to an instructor who can teach you. In every area of life, we get it. There's there's nothing weak or soft about asking someone who's further down the road. And this man knew the exact same thing was true with faith. How can I, unless someone explains it to me? How many of you in the room today would say, honestly, you probably can't ace a round of Bible Jeopardy? A lot of you are fairly new dozens, hundreds of hands. I just want to say to you, the reason God brought you here was to ask. There are people, I could probably find one sitting within 10 feet of you who know the answers to your questions. They've asked them themselves years ago, decades ago. They found good answers in this book. The reason God brought you here next to them is not to impress them to make them think you're so smart with the Bible. The reason God literally has you two in the same place at the same time is so that you could humbly ask and they could give good biblical answers. This is how we grow. And it's not just for passing Bible jeopardy. It's for real joy in knowing Jesus. This week I was sitting uh, in the living room of a woman who's dying. Uh, She spent almost all of her life in some kind of church. And so I asked her this this huge question because we don't know how much time she has left. If today was the day or this was the year when you took your last breath, do you think God would let you into heaven? And her answer was actually by far the most common answer that people give me to that question. She said, I hope so because I've tried to be a good person. And I realized what I realized every single week or month as a pastor that even though there are so many churches in town, even though so many of us have had religious experiences, the very basic message that you get to heaven not by being good or better than the average person, you get to heaven only one way through Jesus. There's so many people who we just can't assume because they have a cross tattoo or a cross necklace or went to church as a kid or go to churches now that they grasp the most important thing in the world, the unconditional love of God that gets you to a better place. That Jesus didn't just die as an example of sacrifice. Instead, his death was the sacrifice that paid for all of our sins. So no matter who you are and where you're from, if you're new, I want you to hear this really clearly that whatever you did, whatever you've done, whatever you're struggling with, Jesus single-handedly took care of all of it on the cross. So the African man found out. He was reading a famous chapter from the Old Testament about the sacrifice of Jesus. Who is this? He asked. And Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Um, I really don't care if you can ace Bible jeopardy. I do care if you make it to heaven. I do care that you can go through hard things in life and suffer with joy because you know how big and loving God is. I do care when the doctor tells you it's cancer and you don't have long left. You're not afraid. Because you know after that short time of suffering is over, you have forever to see the shining face of God. I want you to know that. I want everyone that you know to know that. So if you don't know that, ask it. Those of us who know would love to be like Philip on that day, open a Bible and tell you the good news about the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. So, my friends, those of you who know this book and those of you who don't, it's it's coming. Your barbershop moment. a time when you think, "Uh, I don't get it, these people are smarter than me. Please, when it comes, don't be almost honest. Don't try to impress people. They will grow if you let them teach you. And you'll grow in the process too. About two months ago, I was sitting in a barbershop chair and I had that moment. The place was packed. It was a Friday afternoon. Apparently everyone wanted a fresh fade before the weekend. And I'm sitting there with all the black barbers, all the black clientele, and I had a uh, a question about black lingo. See, I mentor a bunch of middle school boys in our community, and every single week they use a phrase that I never quite understood what it meant the phrase, fit into. Like at the basketball, like, Pastor Mike, I'm fitting to take you to the hole. I could guess what that means, but I don't know what that means. Oh man, I'm fitting to get some chicken tenders after school today. Like, well, what? What? <laughs> So sitting in the chair, I'm like, well, here's a bunch of black people that could help. And so I I took a deep breath, I wiped my hands underneath the cave, and I said, hey, can I ask an ignorant white guy question? And the barbershop, which was filled with noise, got really quiet really fast. I'm like, oh, no, this was a bad idea. And so I asked, sorry, what does fit into mean? And the barber next to me laughed. He said, we're going to teach the pastor some ebonics. <laughs> and then without judging me and without dissing me and without looking down on me, they just explained to me that pastor fitting to you means about to. I'm fitting to take you to the hole. I'm about to take you to the hole. I'm fitting to get some chicken tenders. I'm about to get some chicken tenders. It's, it's a simple phrase that I didn't know. It didn't make me dumb. It just meant that I needed to ask. How about you? If you'd have the courage in those moments to care very little about your reputation and image and very much about your spiritual growth in those moments when you don't get it you could just admit it I can guarantee you this you are fitting to have the best spiritual life ever let's pray Uh, dear God um, all of us want to grow I don't think any of us wants to remain ignorant about Jesus or about salvation but in those moments Father You know how emotional it is for us. We hate feeling less than. We hate the thought of people looking down on us. We hate the idea of being judged. And that's how the devil deceives us into silence. Uh, Father, no more. Uh, When we're teaching our kids, God, give them the courage to ask if they don't understand what it means. When I'm preaching sermons, give me the humility to think what it's like to hear this for the very first time. Rid our church and our studies of assumptions that go over the heads of people who really want to grow in their faith in Jesus. Oh Lord, I know in this place, through time of grace, you have gathered hundreds, thousands of people who are fairly new to the word. Give them courage today to speak the truth. And those of us who hear their honest questions, may we respond in love just like you do to us through your word. We pray all these things because we need your help to do it well and we know that you hear this prayer and have promised to answer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said. Amen.